0: Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Good morning. Wide awake. That was pretty cool already, right? I felt like we could just say amen and go home. Our worship was good, their thing was good. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Christian Limbick. Delighted to be here this morning. I don't like to have favorite services, but 9 o'clock, you're my favorite service so far. This is is a big, noisy service. I like that. I don't want to get too off track, but uh, I I like the vitality of a church. Uh, I don't like that churches have to be designed as an auditorium where all the eyes are facing this way, so I want to just continue to encourage you to feel free to be vocal, and to interact, and uh, to make noise out there. It's okay, you are not the audience, we are the church. Uh, Also, uh, just thinking again, it feels like we can finally get started. It's September, it rained, which means you can officially call it, you know, the summer is coming to an end around here, Uh, school's back in, this time of the year I always feel like I should go out and get a backpack and pencils, I don't know about you, I don't need them, but something in me wants to go get new pencils. Uh, Labor Day's over, like I said, school's back in, so I feel like we can actually uh, get going now and dig into the next season. It does remind me of one little piece of kind of what I call kitchen talk or business that I need to handle, and that is there's a men's retreat coming up at the end of this month. This week, I sent an email out to all the guys in the church. I just want to invite you again, if you're on the fence, uh, this is how you make the friendships That will carry the mission. Uh, You just said church can't be what happens here on Sunday. This is the gathering. Church happens through our connections and all the other ways. So let me invite you, since I hardly know any of you yet, uh, to be a part of that. I'd love to meet you there. Okay, that's it. Back to the Bible. So that's kind of what I'm doing up here. Uh, It's our third week in the book of Philippians, uh, a series that we have titled, From prison with joy, hoping the contrast is apparent in the title, uh, that from prison with joy already puts a challenge in front of us. Uh, Just a reminder, as we told you, the church at Philippi, we have a little map there, uh, is the first European church. There's the map by the magic of technology. There it is. (laughs) Uh, First church planted by Paul in Europe. So that would be modern-day Greece. I just want to remind you what an incredible change in the flow of the gospel this is and how important uh, the church is at Philippi. Uh, Paul, the least likely messenger to the Gentiles ever, just in case you want to know if God has a sense of humor, uh, read the story of the Apostle Paul. uh, A Roman-born Jew, lawyer, uh, a Pharisee who had been the previous murderer, And persecutor of the church, Uh, he was on his way to catch some more Christians in Damascus of Syria. And on the way, many of you know the story, but if you don't know, this guy who hates Christians is on his way to capture more. And the Lord Jesus meets him in a vision, uh, meets him personally on his way to Damascus, blasts him off his horse with a blinding light, uh, calls him uh, to become his missionary and sends him into town blind where he has to send a prophet named Ananias uh, to come and speak to him now this prophet Ananias isn't super stoked about going to talk to the guy who's coming to persecute the church and so uh, the Lord says to Ananias I want you to go talk to him and Ananias is like I'm not so sure about this which is uh, the appropriate response and I just want to read one line it's Acts chapter 9 verse 6 about this moment so Uh, God has called out Paul by a vision and sent Ananias. Ananias says, I'm not sure about it. And this is how the Lord answers him. He says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And then he ends it with the most encouraging. I will show him how much he must suffer For my name. Now, I want you to hold on to those ideas. How much he must suffer to become God's missionary, his man, his voice uh, before Gentiles and kings. Um, If you open the book of Philippians with me, we'll get started on the text. Now, uh, I said last time Philippians is small, so it's hard to find. Um, If you have your Bible with you, it's the 11th book in the New Testament. I'm not sure that helps, Uh, but if you're just kind of figuring this out, there's usually an index in the front of your Bible. Uh, Don't be embarrassed to use that. Go to the index, it'll give you the page number, and then you'll look like a genius when you turn right there. So uh, we're going to be in Philippians. We're still in chapter one. In fact, we're just picking it up uh, with verses 12 and 18. Verses 12 and 18 actually are now finally the body of the letter. Uh, for the first two weeks, we covered the introduction, which is grace and peace to you. And then last week, we got into this prayer that Paul has for the Ephesians. So he starts the letter, greets, and then he prays over them. And as Tim said, he prays out of a splunkna compassion, this deep, heartfelt gut uh, compassion for them in a hope to create that kind, same kind of splunkna gut compassion in them and now in verses 12 through 18 uh, he's getting into the meat of the letter and the way he does that the first thing he does is by addressing a fear that the church at philippi has for him so here's what's happened there's this guy epaphroditus who you'll hear more about later he's come from the church of philippi and he's apparently told uh, paul look these people are worried about you because you're in jail and let's follow their reasonable conclusion they think if paul's in jail the mission has stalled because if paul's not out preaching and he's locked in jail then it's unlikely that people are hearing the good news and they're worried for him personally and they're worried for the mission and that makes sense and so what i want you to hear this morning is paul's answer remember he's replying his answer to their fear that his mission has been stalled because he has been put in jail. So let's pick it up in verse 12. If you have your Bible, you can put your finger in there. If you don't, uh, the words will be on the screen behind me. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ." because of my chains most of the brothers in the lord have been encouraged to speak the word of god more courageously and fearlessly it is true that some preach christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill the latter do so knowing that i that i am put here for the defense of the gospel the former preach christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Tim, with another emergency (laughs) announcement. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. Uh, So there's a vehicle. It's parked downstairs. Silver gray Hyundai. License plate, BCT9804, right down at the kid's entrance in the handicap spot. Does, uh, we need it moved to get to the, to fix the sewage stuff. I knew they were and, related. Somehow. I, and it would be. the car and sewer would be related. It would be helpful to do that sooner rather than um, All right, so to later. hold the shame level down, yeah. Tim will walk away. Yep. I'm going to start talking. You could be going to the bathroom. No, you couldn't. Uh, you could be getting coffee, yeah. <laughs> or you might be going to rescue. Never mind, it's happening right, right now. There cool. it is. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. I'm sorry about that. Okay. Thank you. So, now that you're in the moment, yeah. Uh, an incredible response from Paul, and it's my hope that we would learn from what I want to say our love-soaked, faithful words from this man, Paul, to a church that he adores. And, I, and again, I want to underscore that what makes them so compelling, the very challenge that is in the book, is that his words about faithfulness and joy in the midst of trial are meeting his action. And again, his action, his deeds become the proving testimony of his words. And I said to you before, it is one thing to say, be faithful in the midst of trial. But it is an entirely different, much more difficult thing to be faithful in the midst of a trial. And so Paul's words through the whole book are underscoring this establishing proof. And I want you to hear that he is not just honest and faithful and rejoicing. I hope that you heard he is actually celebrating his chains he isn't just saying, I'm bearing up under them well, but he is boasting and celebrating in something that anybody else would hold a shame. <laughs> Remember, you're thinking of him as a biblical character. He's saying, I'm in jail. I'm in trouble with the law, and I am celebrating that God has done this to me, with me, and through me. Let's go back. To verse 12. Let me unpack this for a second. It says, Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want to pause real quick and say this word that he uses for brothers, Adelphos, uh, really just means the fellowship of believers. So it could easily be translated and is elsewhere as brothers and sisters. And I just really mentioned that so that this is applicable to all who are in the house. Uh, But I want to push on that he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that that which has happened to me is really serving to advance the gospel. This word that he uses for I want you to know a better, fuller translation. Again, they can't always include the full translation, but a better concept of what that word would mean. was something I want you to understand so that you might learn by my example. I desire from love that you would understand That this thing has happened from my example. And then this is where it really starts to get good. He says, that which I want you to understand, that which has happened to me. Uh, The words which have happened aren't even included in the text. There's just a preposition there. It's the preposition kata, and it means on or on top of. In the sense of a case like this, it would mean those things that are dominating me. Those things that are pressing down. I want you to pause for a moment and see if you can relate to the Apostle Paul. Have you ever had something on you? On top, dominating, pressing down, making it hard to breathe. I think it's a wonderful descriptive word of what it's like to be under something. When circumstances are difficult, I think a great descriptor is they press down on you. Right? They make it, it's hard to breathe, hard to think, hard to focus, hard to have the right priorities. You're pressed down. And so he says, these things that are dominating me, dominating my thoughts, my emotions, my preoccupations, these trials on top of me. Watch him flip that into joy and faithfulness when he says something essentially like those things that ought to be dominating me. Those things that from your viewpoint are apparently. Dominating me have actually helped <clears throat> to advance the cause of Christ. Again, he's responding to their legitimate fear. If you're in jail, you must be in trouble, and the gospel must be in trouble. And he's saying, quite to the contrary, my friends, because God is good and I have not given up and I am faithful, these chains are a gift. I will celebrate them because they are advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This word that he uses for advance is another military term uh it's a specific military term that refers to the group of woodcutters an army of woodcutters that you send out in front of the regular roman army so the roman army becoming they'd send this just huge collection of woodcutters they'd go through the forest and clear a path for the army to come behind them otherwise it was too difficult of territory for them to pass so This advanced team, the word literally means to cut before, the cut before team would go out, clear a path so that the army could come. Are you with me? So let me paraphrase that, that he's saying, not only are these chains not impeding my mission, they have opened a new way through difficult territory. The chains are the advanced cutting team that has gone before me to open a new way to cut a path before that i might declare the good news he hasn't just said i'm bearing up under the suffering well he said god has allowed this in my life and i will celebrate it so that it is apparent to me he has brought me here to turn it into an advanced way a way for me to declare the gospel so he's flipped the whole thing on its ear now the question must be raised as something like, to, to what end again? How have paths been opened by chains? Um, how, what has he done? How has he reached people? What have the chains done as an advanced door opener for him? And he just spells those out, again, in three areas, three places he feels like he has reached or made an impact from the gospel that he could not have possibly done without being in jail and in chains. Uh, The first one begins in verse 13, he says, listen, the first thing is, as a result, literally as a result of me being in chains, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else in the palace. Now, let me spell this out. This could just mean, uh, what it really says here is praetorian guard, not just palace guard, and it could mean the official guard of the palace he's in or it could literally mean the Praetorian Guard. And if it's the Praetorian Guard, then what we're talking about is Rome's most elite. Think like special forces. These are hand-picked soldiers that are close to the emperor. They get double the pay of any other soldier because they have great trust, they are deadly and powerful, and they have high social standing. So I, I want you to think, too, how in the world would Paul ever reach people like the Praetorian Guard? Like, he's gonna have a small group gathering, a Praetorian Guard barbecue, or whatever. like, how are people going to come to that? He's gonna march into their barracks? There's no way that he would reach this segment of society. He says, How can it be that I've reached these influential, powerful people? close to the emperor in the palace. I couldn't have got there except for you see my chains opened away before me. It's it's the very fact that I was seemingly in trouble that has opened the door for me to reach this group of people. I love that he says, now they all know. The guards know, the people in the palace know. I think you can kind of imagine the conversation, right? So there's a couple of guards standing around and one guard's like, who's that guy? And then was like, uh his name's paul some guy a born roman but he's from judea as a jew and the other guy's like well why is he here what's the big deal why why is he being held by the praetorian guard and he might say because of his connection to some guy named jesus And the other guy says who's jesus and then bam it's on right Who, who's jesus is the question that could not have otherwise happened and it's because he was he could have Oh, God, why me, not chains? No, now it's wrecked. Instead, he's like, let's see what God does with this in his sovereignty over everything. And now he's like, I didn't even see that coming, God. Okay, I saw how maybe if I had done chains well, that could have been cool. This was actually your plan. I wanted to go to Rome. You knew a better way to get there. For me to have influence in areas that I would never have influence, I had to to go to prison. Well, to whom else do these chains cut a path? Let's pick it up in verse 14. It says, because of my chains, again, because I'm in jail, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now, I love the word most in this context. Most of the Christians who are not in jail have seen his testimony and have begun to declare who Jesus Christ is. I like it because it assumes most of them had been dead silent before, right? Most had said nothing. They saw his chains and his influence. Now, most of them had begun to speak. Now, I want you to understand that it is difficult to be a Christian in Rome at this time. Um, In our area, about 11% of people say their faith is important to them. So Christians are a minority for sure. Uh, they're losing popularity all the time. We can live with that. But we have no idea what it's like to live in this kind of a culture where Christians are despised. I think it's best summed up in a little piece of graffiti. This is actually a piece of graffiti from sec- second century Rome. <clears throat> I don't know how well you can say it, but it's called Aleximanos Worships God. And it's a crude drawing, it's graffiti, but in it, a Roman boy is shown worshiping a crucified Savior with the head of a donkey. And the meaning of it is both clear and ugly. That both the boy and this so-called crucified God, Jesus, are both less than. Less than Roman. Less than human. Less than worthy. And because they are not worthy... They are worthy of mockery, and mockery turns to hate, and hate turns to violence, because that is what is born in the human heart, is to make an other and to hurt them. But it is Paul's faithful, joyful, fruitful declaration of Jesus Christ that unstops their mouths. Let me come back around for a second, and I want you to notice the immense fruitfulness of paul's work immensely fruitful because he is able to look at everything as coming under the sovereign hand of god do you remember i read you in acts 9 6 it says i will show him how much he must suffer for my name do you see that he has become exceedingly fruitful because he has been exceedingly faithful God says, I'm going to send him places that I can only send somebody who is strong. But because he suffers much, he will be fruitful much. Now, I'm not saying this is a rule. I'm making an observation. And that observation is this. Often where there is great faithfulness, there is great fruitfulness. When you have great faithfulness, you can yield great fruitfulness. If you desire great fruitfulness but do not have Great faithfulness, you do not desire to do the work that would turn out the outcome. And so you see that, I mean, look, at here we are, 2,000 years later, his words are still yielding fruit. You are the fruit of the Apostle Paul. Not only did he change the world in his time, not only is history different because of this man and who he represents, but our lives are different because of the words of the Apostle Paul. With great faithfulness came great fruitfulness. So it is this testimony, this exact testimony, that unstops the mouths of other Christians. He's reached the Praetorian Guard. He's reached the palace. He's reached other Christians in his community. Finally, verse 15 says that it makes it clear that he has even turned the work of some of his enemies. So it says that some of Paul's enemies, who are Jews, hoping to preach Judaism have to explain who Jesus is to contest Paul. And in explaining who Jesus is, simply spread his name and his fame. I just think that's kind of hilarious. As Paul says, they're trying to make my chains worse. What they've done is they're just mentioning the name of Christ. Even in trying to tear me down, all they're doing is advancing our cause. They lift up the name of Jesus, there's a little Hebrew law that says you're allowed to preach about God from false motives, but you will not get eternal life. And it's funny because Paul says here, I'm delighted that their treachery is leading to the declaration of eternal life for everyone. Verse 18 of this passage summarizes the whole thing. It doesn't just summarize this section of the letter to the Philippians, but in many ways it summarizes the entire letter uh, as it connects uh, Paul's heart about his life and his mission and the Philippians in uh, this one passage, this one verse, to the middle of his book. So chapter 2 is the great hymn about Christ and his humility and our representation. And verse 18 is the first hint that begins to point at this uh, hymn in chapter 2. And again, it summarizes what he thought. Let's read it again. He says, but what does it matter? And he's speaking about his whole life, his persecution, everything. But what does it matter? For the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives uh, or in true, in every way, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He rejoices that his chains are the preway, the opened path that allows him to preach Who Jesus is. And I read that passage and I thought there are more lessons in there than I could possibly share with you in one day. There are more word studies and more cultural studies and more outcomes. And so I landed on saying, What I want to do with this passage for our church is the same thing that Paul wanted to do with his church. He looked at his church, he read those words, and he says, It's my heart, I want you to know from my experience, that you might grow as mature Christians and that you might faithfully and joyfully represent Christ in all situations so that your whole life might advance the gospel. And so I asked the question, how can we bear up under that which is over us? How can we take that which is happening to us and not just bear under it well, but maybe Let it become a testimony to ourselves, to those we love, to the world around us. Can our suffering, that which is happening to us, even advance the gospel? I said to you a couple of weeks ago, I desire that we become a hub of hope. And I think we cannot become a hub of hope unless we ourselves have hope. Now, I'm going to get to the end here. But if you have not been using a notebook so far, last week we handed out these uh, little black notebooks. If you didn't get one, you can grab one on the way out. Our heart here is that you'd begin not just to interact with your Bible, but begin to take away notes that you can think about and uh, unpack during the week for how it impacts your life. So if you don't have one, what? Grab one. If you got one last week and you didn't bring it back, I feel you. That's my whole life. Uh, so next week, try again and uh, bring that thing back. What I'd love for you to do is open it up and under Philippians one twelve through eighteen, and after all the brilliant notes that you've already taken on this message, uh, you might write something like takeaways or what I'm gonna do with this on Monday. And here's three things that I wanna quickly give you. What do you do with this on Monday? What doors might be open to the gospel into difficult territory if we will simply walk with them faithfully? Emergency rooms and hospitals and hostile classrooms and prisons and jails and homeless camps and Far flung countries, what pre cut may be made for us that we might advance the gospel? And this morning, what I want to do is I want to suggest three recurring processes, 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 processes uh, that relate to my first message, which is wholehearted ongoing alignment. And I want to drill down into the ongoing part for a moment and talk about three things that you must do, we must do. When we find ourselves in the midst of a challenge with something kata on top of us, on us, dominating us, what is the response of a Christian? Now, I do want to say this. When you are challenged, it's not likely to always be something like prison. That would make it easy. You could say, hey, when when I go to prison, this is surely what I'll do. Then you probably won't have to worry about it, right? Uh, These kinds of disappointments are much more likely to be unexpected pain or an unexpected financial burden, or just disappointment, or depression, or an accident, or an illness, or conflict, those things that are on you, whatever it is, whatever it happens, how do we as Christians respond? Number one, and this is about that ongoing part of the process, first thing I want to encourage you to do right down is rehearse what is true. The next time something happens, you go home, you're driving home from now and you're driving behind a truck, and a rock falls off the truck and breaks your windshield. I, I'm just trying to think of something low-key, okay? Uh, as a rock hits your windshield. You get distracted. You pull off the side, and you, dis, you, know, you hit a curb and break your wheel. Uh, what do you do the moment those disappointing things happen to you? The soon as you can, you slow down, and you rehearse what is true. And you remind yourself that the sovereign God knew all these things were coming. The world has not unraveled for you. That he is true, he is with you, he's for you, he sees you, he sees this circumstance, he cares about you, and the greater truths are still true over your life. You don't have to unravel, you don't have to become furious, you don't have to wonder if God even exists anymore. You simply have to say, I know what is true, and let the emotions follow when they can. Let me say this, we are anchored in truth. We are not anchored in good ideas. We are not anchored in religion. We are not anchored in good intentions. We are not anchored in some cultivated inner peace. We are anchored in truth. Do you hear me? Because truth stands regardless of how you feel about it. And so you rehearse what is true in your life. And then you practice faithfulness. Rehearse what is true and then practice faithfulness. And listen, to practice faithfulness, you must decide in that moment, instead of pouting or terror, I will choose to be faithful. I choose it, I make a decision to go after. It. I want you to know something. When something happens to you in all of life, you are always practicing your response you are either practicing trust or mistrust. If your most frequent response is mistrust and you wonder why you don't trust God, I would suggest you may have been practicing it your entire life. So it has become a habit for you to freak out, to unravel, and to not trust God. And you must learn, it won't happen overnight, to practice faithfulness. I want to read something that Pastor Bill Samuels wrote that Everett shared with me. It says... There is the difference between believing something as a statement of faith and really believing it so that it is operational for you under stress and pressure. For it is unlikely that God will shock you into a situation demanding enormous faith and spiritual fortitude. But he will slowly permit trials and tests to strengthen and increase our belief in him incrementally. So that you must ask yourself, how much pressure does it take before I start to doubt that of which I am sure I believe? As committed Christians, we are continually learning to trust and to truly believe that which we think we already have. I just read that one, zing, right? Like how far do I have to, usually it's just traffic for me and there's no God and the world is going to fall apart, right? That's a uh, low threshold. Remember, rehearse what is true, practice faithfulness. And I love this one. I think this one's key. Enjoy the outcome. When you practice faithfulness instead of freaking out, and all of a sudden I want you to notice, I want you to enjoy the shift in you. You know what? It feels good to obey God and to trust him. And I want you to notice that when you do, you like the way that feels because you are designed to enjoy the outcomes. You will find that when in the midst of any trial, small or large, you turn to God and say, I trust you. I am not going to unwind in this. I'm going to trust you and be with you. That's where you get the peace that passes understanding. He doesn't tend to run into the, I'm freaking out, and deliver the peace. In response to your trust comes peace. I want you to notice you feel better and you are better to the people around you uh dads when your day does not go the way it worked out and your kids are driving you nuts and you want to feel frustrated and pout if you're a planner like me that's a confession and uh you know instead of being angry at your family and alienating yourself why don't you just remember what's true and extend love and grace to them too watch you'll like you better you'll like them better and i bet you your day works out better you will see god work faithfully in the midst of your trials but he's hard to notice when you're only paying attention to yourself It feels good to walk with God. We are better to those around us. I have stood in a dozen hospital rooms listening to doctors and nurses tell me how they have been moved by the faithfulness of the patient and their family, how they have endured suffering well and they have become a testimony. And that is because words and actions combined are the most powerful testimony of Jesus Christ. And they declare hope most loudly when they are most unlikely. Your faithfulness might become a testimony. Your trial might cut away. It might open a door to a place that you do not expect. And I say to you again, plainly looking right at you, I desire that this church and the people who call it home will learn from Paul to rejoice in all circumstances, that we will rehearse and practice and enjoy faithfulness. Because the more we do, the more we will radiate hope. And if we radiate hope, the more we will be able to take hope into every corner of our lives, the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ. And the more we take hope like a beacon into the dark night, we'll have hope, be hope, share hope as a hub of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.